Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Um, so let's turn to Genesis 4, verse 7. I want to, I want to try and just in, in, engage a supernatural grace right now to, to get a fair bit across without it being wasted um, in hearts and just try to, just try to impart something. Um, I woke up this morning from a dream that made me feel convicted to share this tonight because I didn't know what to bring. Um, and I found it really interesting, probably the last two years around when December hits, this is what I felt to preach. I don't know why. Um, I haven't figured that out. I haven't yet asked the Lord. But this, sure enough, I woke up. We're about to move into December. I felt like he asked me to bring this. I think um, teaching the biblical understanding that, that as Christians, sin is no longer indwelling, but it is in fact on the outside of us, uh, and we've been fully indwelt by God, is one of the things I will, I will preach the rest of my life until I go to be with him. And it's one of the things that's cost me the, the most to preach in terms of um, the, the grittiness of disagreement um, or robust responses um, but for those in the room that will actually have their lives completely changed by this, it's 100% worth it every single time. And it's completely changed my life. And it's helped me to honor, because of what this means for me, it's helped me to honor the true price paid by Jesus when he died on a cross for us. You know, if we don't pursue to understand what sin is and pursue from a realm of grace and a response of love to live free from sin, I think, we're, I think we'll see the coming generations won't understand the value of salvation if we don't occasionally emphasize the, the absolute devastation that sin can cause, the fact that it's the only true issue on the planet. Everything boils back to the impact of sin. It's, it's not, you know, it's the idea that sin's not a big issue, it's the only big issue, really. And if, and if we don't... If we don't put it out there uh, within the church, I think we'll see a generation to come not value salvation because what are you saved from? If we don't understand the depth of what we're saved from, we can't fully cherish and be grateful every day for what we now live in. Does that make sense? And I think those sort of things breed complacency. If we don't rightly discern the, the, the absolute beauty of the cross and what it means... So we're going to do that. Um, I think uh, there's a there's a spirit a spirit at the moment. Me and Carsten talk about this a lot. That rather, I think there's a time when the enemy sought to redefine morality for people, both within the church and outside the church. He sought to redefine what's right and wrong. The enemy. I think there's we're in a current season where the enemy is actually trying to erase the idea of morality in our culture and even begin to incriminate people who would still say there's a right and there's a wrong. And what God has put forth in his scriptures is the absolute uh, standard of morality. That if you've seen some of the laws that are being designed and promoted in Victoria at the moment around gender conversion therapy and things like that, uh, even prison time, 
been labeled as one of the things that can happen if a Christian minister would pray for someone, even at times who willfully approach them for assistance in managing uh, gender identity crisis. And, and there's, there's, there's real issues going on right now. And I think uh, as the church, we have to um, set our eyes on Jesus and on the Father first and foremost. He's always our priority. But every now and then, shine a big fat torch on the devil and expose what he's doing. Right? I said this to Mandy on the way here. I said, we, I feel like when I get to preach this, I just get to put a flashlight on him and be like, there he is. That's what he's trying to do. Don't be ignorant. The Bible says, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. I think an enemy ignored is not an enemy defeated. An enemy ignored is not an enemy defeated. Know your enemy. Don't be ignorant of his devices. And I think sin and the, the, the force of sin as an external thing for Christians is an enemy we have to understand so we can live free from them. Does that make sense? Awesome. Genesis 4, 7. I'm going to try and just paint a really quick picture of uh, the fact that sin for Christians is no longer inside of us, no longer in our nature, but still in the world, which is why you can still experience temptation for sin. But I want to paint that picture, and then I want to just give some tools that have helped me um, to walk in a different way when it comes to sin. So Genesis 4, 7. I don't know what you think about the law of first mention. Who's ever heard of the law of first mention? Yeah, quite a few of us. I'm not sure what I think of it exactly, but this is the first time the word sin's ever used in the Bible. Um, So take that, for those of you that contemplate that, maybe you can help me understand it a bit better. I think every time something's mentioned in the Bible, it's important. Um, But if there's something to that, I'd love to understand it. Either way, this is the first time sin is mentioned in your Bible. Genesis 4, 7. God is speaking to Cain, who has uh, become angry at um, God not accepting his sacrifice, but accepting Abel's. And God says to him, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you but you must rule over it okay if you've got your bible open just read that over again with me if you do not do well sin is everyone say crouching crouching at the what the door it's everyone say it's it's desire whose desire sin's desire is it Cain's desire. Sin's desire is for Cain. But Cain must rule over sin. Would God ask us to do something we couldn't do just to watch us try and fail? No, I can't see that anywhere in his nature. So to rule over sin is a capability of humans. But sin carries its own desires. Has anyone got a King James Bible? Are you reading? From, is that Dewberry? Oh, no, it's not Dewberry. Oh, yeah. If you're reading it right now, is it New King James or Old King James? King James. Flip. Does it say his desire? Yep. Confirmed. So the King James Version doesn't say its desire. It says his desire. It is a reference to sin. Interesting, right? 
That's pretty interesting. That changes it. That's because the Hebrew word for sin there or for it is a personified word. It's a person. Sin is crouching at your door. If sin was just something you do, then how could it crouch at your door or the door of your heart? You with me? Sin's more than just an action you did. Is the action you did a sin? Yes, it's the action of sin. But before you produced the behavior or the action of sin, you embraced an enticement of sin, which was from outside. And sometimes we're busy doing behavior management on the behavior of sin instead of learning and discerning the temptation and enticement of sin before the action comes in our lives. Does it make sense? We get stuck in behavior management and surprisingly not very helpful. Um, Ben, I might need a hand just putting the cast back on if you don't mind because the Wi-Fi just failed a bit. I want to show you guys something. Uh, This is fascinating to me. Just before we go any further, I... I had a friend named Naomi McDonald. I have a friend named Naomi McDonald. She's the senior leader of Glory City Church in Darwin now. And she used to run a thing called Glory Kids for Glory City Darwin. And she just had such a heart to see kids understand the gospel, understand what sin is and how to live free from it. And she did an encounter time with these kids once and got them to draw a picture that the Lord showed them. And one of them, an eight-year-old boy who I know, um, drew this picture that I'm about to show you once we just get our cast back up. This is fascinating to me. And she actually sent this to me right after I had been at um, Schoolies for Jesus. We'll be able to get it up in a minute. While we get that going, I'll give you some context. We were at Schoolies for Jesus. Who, who, everyone know what Schoolies is? Grade 12 celebration uh, can be pretty um, immoral, pretty intense atmosphere. We were, we were doing an outreach into Schoolies, and I remember um, wrestling with the idea that people don't really crave holiness or want to live free from sin. They're not attracted to it. I've certainly seen people take quite a negative approach to the church or to um, Christians around morality, or at least what I thought was morality or righteousness, a, a reaction at times to that. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it can make you think that, uh, oh, un- unbelievers don't really want uh, integrity or character or holiness. I-, I don't believe that's true anymore. And I felt the Lord say to me just as we're about to engage in this outreach time um, down on the Gold Coast, that people actually crave holiness. Uh, What they really don't uh, like is self-righteousness. My picture's up. So this eight-year-old boy drew this picture. Just, Just let it sink in what this picture means. In an encounter time with the Lord, this is what he felt the Lord show him. Two boats... One called sin, I, I, I would also say there's an air of uh, relevance or um, trying to approach the world under the same guise as the world or the same, uh, uh, you know, values we feel the world carries of sin. 
to try and hook people into the gospel, but people aren't looking for, for a different way to sin without the guilt of judgment, right? And call it faith. They're looking for freedom from sin deep down. And I felt the Lord say, and then she, Naomi sent me this one week later and said, look, I thought you'd find this interesting. This is what an eight-year-old boy wrote. And here the holiness, authentic holiness was attractive and it was a tool to actually build a bridge and to catch fish. And we went into schoolies making zero effort to, to, to carry the same spirit as what some of these people are carrying, but in, in unapologetic holiness because of who we've been made to be, but demonstrating God's love, we're able to see, uh, we actually saw over 300 people saved at this particular schoolies event, straight out of school. Over 300 people were saved, and it wasn't because we compromised. It's because we preached the gospel, which has the power to save, right? And so people, I, I believe, are... Uh, uh, repelled by self-righteousness, but not by God-driven righteousness. It's self-righteousness that no one likes, not even Christians, am I right? I don't like it. I don't like it if I find it in me. I don't like it if I find it in others. It's, it's repelling. It causes pride or it causes guilt and shame. Self-righteousness. But, but, but a, a love response righteousness, because you've, you've discovered who you are, you've come to know the truth, and as you've known the truth, it's set you free, that kind of righteousness. Man, it wasn't the prostitutes and tax collectors and um, other sinful people that were repelled by Jesus. And did he ever compromise? Was he totally holy, righteous, pure? But did they love to be around him? So we have to get that idea out of our heads that, oh, the world's not looking for holiness. I disagree. They, they flocked to Jesus and his holiness. But they were repelled by the Pharisees. It's all right. Self-righteous. Or, or, or those who were self-righteous. It wasn't limited to Pharisees. But I want to show you that. I think that's really important for us, particularly in this age we're living in, to know that we're not um, unable to build bridges you know, compromise and bridges are two different things. And love's the ultimate bridge. All right, let's go to Romans 6, verse 12. I love this. Just a couple more verses about how sin is not inside of us, it's outside, but that we still have the power then to be tempted by it as an external thing. Who's heard of the battlefield of the mind? Anyone? Who comes to mind when you hear that? Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer, what a woman. She's an incredible woman. I've heard amazing, inspiring stories about her, her life. Um, I, think, I think she really took something of a concept that the enemy tries to lie to us in our thought life and made it really practical and graspable for the church her and others, but I'm so grateful for what she did. I think, I think most of us or everyone in the room would agree that not every single thought that goes through our head is ours. Would, would, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Nishara, we've got a vigorous nod and a thumbs up. Yeah, 
that not every thought that goes through our head is ours, but some of us still wrestle with the idea that not every feeling that we feel in our soul, mind, will, and emotions is ours either. I don't know if I'd use battlefield language necessarily, um, but I think you can apply the same concept to the soul realm, to the feelings. So some of us are learning how to take thoughts captive so they don't steer our behaviors, but as soon as a feeling comes, we go introspective, oh, I mustn't be free from that yet. Right? But then we know not every thought we, we think is ours. We have, to, we have to think more robustly about this. We have to take the reality that we're no longer darkness but light in the Lord and apply it to our soul realm as well when it comes to temptation for sin. Did Adam and Eve have sinful natures when they were first created? No. Were they able to experience temptation for sin? Okay, so if I'm not a sinner anymore, why can I still experience temptation? Well, the same way they did. Where did it come from? Was it inside? But for us, we, we still believe it is as Christians. Okay, when, when who, who was punished for Adam and Eve's sin? Adam and Eve were. Why? Because they did the sin. What was the sin? It was the act of reaching out, taking of the fruit of the tree and eating of it. The behavior was condemned, right? Because they, do, they had disobeyed the Lord in doing that. But was the enemy also cursed? Why? Because he wasn't, he wasn't clean in it. What does his part to play? The deception, the enticement, the lie... The same ones we seem to own a lot of the time. Are you with me? I can't think of how many times the devil has given people thoughts and then condemned them for having them. And then the condemnation spirals into a behavior called sin. And now we're all bent on trying to fix the behavior without addressing Right? We're trying to adjust the fruit without actually putting a flashlight on the root and recognizing that it's, it's actually separate from us. And we're not under it anymore. You with me? It's huge. Oh my goodness. Okay, Romans 6, 12. Romans 6, 12. I love this so much. Romans 6, 12. Paul just packs such a punch here. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not let sin reign in what? This. What does that tell you? Just stop there. Just do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It tells you a few things. I'm provoking some thought. Tells you, one, you don't have to because he said don't let it. So it indicates authority. He didn't say you have no choice but to let it. Make sure that you, whatever, as a result. He didn't say that. He said do not let sin, what? 
reign in your mortal body. What does that mean? It's not in your mortal body. Right? And it. What's it mean? Sin. There's so much in this one verse. It's not in your mortal body. You don't have to let it be there. And it has what? Its own desires. The ones that too many of us are thinking are ours. You with me? It's a big deal. Oh, man, the, the things that I was able to be untangled from, when this hit my heart, the things I've seen others untangled from, from, from walking in this, from knowing this truth and having it set them free. Thank you, Father. So can you see that sin is on the outside? And it does have its own desires, its own lusts, the King James would say. Right? And we, in Genesis 4-7, as well as Romans 6-12, evidently have the authority as new creations to not let it reign in our mortal bodies. So we need to draw back from behavior management, if we're living in issues of sin, to draw back and consider what is the root of this behavior. And I'm not talking in here. When I say root, how many of you think in here? It's not, I'm not talking about that. The root is elsewhere, and that's the whole point. It comes from something external to you, a personified force, an atmosphere called sin. You know, Romans, just a little bit further back up in Romans 5. Oh, flip, I love this. Flip, flip, flip. Where is it? There it is. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Everyone say, into the world. Into the world. So did sin just enter Adam and Eve, or did it enter the world through them? Through one man, sin entered the world. So when you are born again, sin is taken out of you, out of your nature. It's not taken out of the world. That's why temptation, enticement, desire, right? You can still feel it. When you can discern it as separate from you, the power to live free from it just skyrockets. Okay, let's go to James 1. I just feel to do this. I'm following a little bit of a thread at the moment. What am I up to? 8.35. How are you guys doing? Is this okay? Are you with me? Okay. All right. I love this. James 1 verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. That's a great, great thing to know. Thank you, James. God is not the tempter. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Whose who's Bible says lust instead of desire? A, few, a couple of ours? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. That word, if you have a look at it in a Strong's like Numa has, is not a, an evil word. It's a word that can be used for good desire or bad desire or neutral desire. The desire to drink water is neither bad nor good, right? It's the word desire. It can also, it can be used as the word lust. It has to be determined by the translator to, to use it in a negative sense, right? But the Greek word itself doesn't have that sense. I hope that makes sense. Sense. All right. So I prefer the word desire because I don't believe James is talking about evil desire. And I hope no one's Bible says evil desire. That's unfortunate if it does. I know one translation did. I think they've changed it since. But if you have an older one of it, it'll say evil desire. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own evil desire. I think that's a misuse of the word. So I prefer his own desire. Then get this, verse 15. When desire has, what? Conceived. Just stop on that word for a minute. What does it take for conception to happen? One person or two? Two. Do you know how introspective we can become with sin? We think when we sin or when we're tempted for sin, we're the only people there. Right? But to conceive, for the desire to sin, to entice us, right? Our own desires. So a desire for intimacy, perhaps, that every human being has. To be fulfilled primarily, first and foremost, in the Lord, through union with Him in Christ. Secondly, in healthy community, marriages, families, right? Intimacy. It's a healthy desire, it's a good desire. But if the enemy entices that desire for intimacy into, say, sexual sin, right? It's a good desire being enticed into conceiving and giving birth to sin. Can you see what I'm getting at? This is, this is incredible. This means as, if you begin to feel temptation for sin... If you can begin to discern it, oh my goodness, I've, I've, I've so practiced this over the years now that I can walk into a cinema and, and if a particular scene comes on, I can feel a spirit come in. I can feel a certain temptation or desire in the, in the atmosphere. I can completely disassociate myself from it. And do you know how authoritative it feels. Do you, know, do you know how freeing it feels to see it for what it is, to put the flashlight on it? Like, I have power over you in Jesus. It's so wonderful. Oh, my goodness. So when desire has fully conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. What comes first? Conception. What comes before conception? Desire. See, we feel the desire and think we're sinning. So then we go sin anyway in our behavior. We feel the desire for sin. We feel guilty. Oh, I can't believe I still think about that or feel like that. We move straight into sin. Instead of, I know what that is. Father, I thank you that you actually delivered me from sin, that I once was darkness, but now I'm light. 
that you made him who knew no sin to become sin for me, and I'm actually your righteousness right now. I have partaken of the divine nature. I have escaped the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. I've escaped that corruption because of your blood and your body on a cross. And my goodness, who's ever done that and felt the desire just... Yeah? There's not a time in your life when you feel temptation for sin that you can't do that and it won't leave. I'm, I'm telling you. That's crazy. You know, when I had an um, unshakable porn addiction for, for years and years and years as a Christian and would seek help because I wanted to be free from it. Right? Because we desire freedom. We desire holiness. We know we're not built for it. I'm, I'm convinced it's more natural for Christians to live holy than it is for them to sin. Because of our new nature. We crave holiness more. We're, and you'll prove it to yourself for the rest of your life that you're a new creation who doesn't want sin by either sinning and hating it and feeling miserable because you're not designed for it anymore, which proves you're not designed for it, or living free from it and being really satisfied because it's who you are. Either way, you'll prove to yourself for the rest of your life that you're, you're a new creation. You're not built for that anymore. Right? Okay, I lost my train of thought. All right, all right, all right. Okay. Let's go to Luke 4. Can we go to Luke 4? Come with me to Luke 4. This is, this is one of my favorite tools for freedom. How are we going? All right, I'm going to have to do this quick. We've looked at Genesis 4, 7. You can write these down if you want. Romans 6, verse 12. We mentioned 2 Peter 1. We've escaped the corruption that's in the world through sinful desire. That's such a, a powerful passage. And we've looked at James 1. It takes two people to conceive, two parties. So don't own the desire and move straight to step three, sin, via conception, right? Just, just don't own the desire. Just expose it. Whatever's exposed by light becomes light, right? That's what we're talking about. And men, the amount of heads that nodded when I said, have you ever just positioned your heart to remind yourself of who you are and actually felt temptation diminish? There's a lot of heads that nodded. Hey, Luke 4, Jesus gives us an incredible picture of this. Do you remember how he goes out into the desert and he's tempted by the devil? Okay, let's get an example. Let's get Josiah because he looks a fair bit like Jesus to me. Can you stand up over here? All right, I also look like Jesus, but for the purpose of this illustration, I'll be the devil. Right? I know, it's a tough gig. But I can do it just for a moment. So, Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So Josiah, Jesus, has been led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I believe he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to actually give us an example that could be recorded in Scripture so we would find help to live free from sin and understand what's happening when a new creation is tempted. Right? 1 John 4.17 says, as he is, Jesus, so is Josiah in this world. Right? As he is, so are we in this world. Okay, so then Jesus in the desert is an example of how we are in this world. You with me? That's, that's, 
a big deal. So Jesus has been tempted. Now, I'm the devil. This is Jesus. What's wrong with the picture immediately? I look just like Jesus. It's a bummer. I don't have horns and a red body. don't think the devil actually has that. What's the problem? Liam said it. I'm here physically. I'm holding a Bible. (laughs) Well, he obviously knows the Bible. He must be reading it somewhere. Wow. So the issue is I'm here physically. Now, can Jesus be a a true example if, if the devil was standing physically in front of him saying, hey, Jesus, if you really are the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? That's not how you're tempted, is it? No, Hebrews 4 verse 15, you can write that one down if you want. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Just as we are. Okay, so when you're tempted for sin, is the devil there in the flesh? Hey, Josie. I got nothing to tempt you with. <laughs> I'm digging deep. Um, hey, do you want to steal Jane's Bible? <laughs> you got a great. You do have a great Bible. Um, what about Aaron's guitar. He wouldn't even know. He'd think it was Mandy Furlong. <laughs> we could just pin it on her. <laughs> so it doesn't happen, right? When you're alone, being tempted for sin, the devil doesn't pop out there and just start taunting you. It'd be a lot easier to probably turn away from sin if that happened, hey? Okay, so let's paint the picture differently. So Josiah's there, and he's in the desert now, and there he is. And the devil comes and tempts him. Does the devil tempt him with just three things? Absolutely not. For 40 days, the devil tempts him. Your Bible says in Luke 4, and then you get to Um, Verse 13, and it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation. Can you say every? Every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So so now does this look a bit more like the picture you would have if you were being tempted for sin? You feel like it's just you there. And there's a thought or there's a feeling going through your head or your soul. You feel the enticement. That's what Jesus was feeling for 40 days. I know that because Hebrews 4 says he was tempted in every way as you are. And that's how you're tempted. So that's how he was tempted. All right. How you going there? He just knows who he is. Awesome. You can sit down. Thanks, Josie. This is a really big deal. That means any thought you've ever had for sin or even desire, Jesus felt it or thought it in the desert. Think about any sin you've ever struggled with. Think about it. If this is confronting, if I say Jesus had that feeling, he experienced that feeling or he felt that thought go through his head, there's people that get offended by that because they still think the thoughts and feelings are theirs, so they think I'm pinning it on Jesus. You with me? I I so often feel a particular thickness come back at me when I say that 
Because we're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting this, I'm getting this. Well, don't put that on Jesus. He didn't think that. If you think that about him, you'll still think it about you when you leave. How much are you like him? How much does the Bible say you're like him? As he is, so are you in this world. The, the thoughts went through his head. The Bible says it. The feelings went through his body, his soul. And he did not sin. So is it a sin to be tempted by sin? Not at all. It's a sin to give in to sin and let it reign in your mortal body. And Jesus never did that. And he did it as a what? Example. Oh, my goodness. That's just huge. So for me, if I experience temptation for sin, I often picture Luke 4. I see myself. I see myself as separate from what I'm experiencing or thinking. And I can actually then take it on. You with me? Do you know how to take it on? I've got these two epic things. One's called a sword of a spirit, which is the word of God. The other's called a shield of faith. Not a shield of feelings, because if it's a shield of feelings, you'll be all tangled up and sinning in no time. Right? Because the enemy has feelings too. But your faith is the shield that actually can quench how many fiery darts? All the fiery darts of the evil one. All means all. Ask Carsten or Nick. All means all. So if you put your armor on, by the way, why would you need armor if sin's inside you? Right? Why, why, why the armor? Are you containing sin? No, because it's outside. You need armor to fight the good fight. The Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, when you know the truth, it sets you free. And then the shield of faith to stay free, to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. All of them. Which means you can, right? Flip, the, the armor just got super gangster. Bring it back. Bring back the armor. <laughs> Flip. Don't tell the prophets that. There'll be armor everywhere. Oh, cast it. I'm kidding. <laughs> Flip. Okay. I need to finish soon. I haven't got very far. I would love to, love to pray for some people. Um, okay. Let me just show you something. I, I, I found this today and I wanted to show you. Um, Another picture that's helped me. I've let's see. Okay, I hopefully this works. But I've often, you know, how sin is not in us anymore, but it's in the world still. Um, I've often tried to get a picture of what you could relate it to, and I feel like it's almost like radio static. Have you ever had a noise in the background? Say you're driving along in your car and you didn't know, but the radio was just on a random thing, just. And you don't, you, you're so used to it being there that you don't quite notice for a while and you switch it off and this satisfying quietness creeps in. I, I think that's what sin can be like. If we've, if we've rather, than, uh, rather than cultivated through our relationship with the Father a, a, a personal experience of his presence, we tend to let the frequency of sin just buzz around our atmosphere and you don't know how tiring the frequency is until you switch it off and you go, oh. It is true.
frequency. The white noise. Right? Sin entered the world through the one man, Adam. It entered the world. It's in the environment. There, we have an ability to become deaf to it. And it's through our relationship with the Father. And I've watched, I've, I've journeyed in my own soul realm how if I, don't, if I don't set a personal pursuit of the presence of God, this just tends to sit there. And if I become complacent, it can tend to just sort of start to get louder and louder until it's even distracting you from what you know you should be feeding on or listening to or gleaning from, and it's almost in conflict. And in real life, this is a silent process, but it's happening in the soul realm. Is anyone super irritated by that? <laughs> this is much more irritating than I imagined. Tara, are we over in a minute? Right? But then if you practice the presence of God, if you engage your relationship and you cultivate just turning your heart towards him. Father, I thank you that I'm your son. I thank you that you've drawn me out of darkness and into your light. Thank you that just as he is, so am I in this world, Lord. Father, I can see, I can feel certain temptations for sin I know don't belong to me anymore, Father. I just, I just expose them with light, that they might become light and vanish, whatever doesn't belong in the light right now. I love you, Jesus. Have you ever felt that? Have you, who's ever felt that? And you can live in the stillness of his presence right now on this earth, I'm convinced of it. And if we would cultivate that, we can live there. We don't have to have the frequency. And if we can know what it is, if it just tries to just pump up the volume from time to time, we can shut it down with our sword and our shield. You with me? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, I want to do one more thing. George has prepared a bowl of dirt for me. I often have people get bowls of dirt and then run out of time. So I'm just going to do it and close with it. Can you bring it up for me, Georgia? What a serious amount of dirt. Flip. Do you have two different feet or are yours cool? No, they look cool. All right, Numa. Thank you so much. I asked Georgia to get this for me, a bowl of dirt. That's high grade. I planted a herb garden this week at my house and I know dirt now. That's pretty good dirt. Thank you. All right, I need a volunteer. Someone who's not going to mess it up on purpose. <laughs> Dee Dee. <laughs> you so would have messed it up. All right, who else can I use? Someone super responsible. Oh, that's... Well, I'm reaching deep, Dom. <laughs> uh, Paul's looking around. I'll find someone responsible. <laughs> uh, Rob Turner, he'll be fantastic. Good call, so true. The perfect candidate. Flip. We love you, Rob. Okay, just one last picture, because I want to just hit this from a few different angles. 
Oh, hey, sin is on the outside. God is on the inside. Desires for sin do not define you. They're trying to deceive you. Right? Desires for sin do not define you. They're trying to deceive you. You're trying, you're, there's an attempt to entice you into sin. It's coming from outside. So now, back to the Josiah, back to the desert. I'm not really here. Right? So it's just a bowl of dirt floating in the air. But it's not really floating. Can you go there? How are your imaginations? Aaron's got it. He's locked in. All right. So Rob, Rob, do you eat dirt? I do not eat dirt. Oh, conviction. <laughs> what do you reckon? Yeah, he's solid. He doesn't eat dirt. Okay. So let's just paint a picture. Say Rob doesn't believe he eats dirt. He's pretty confident. But then he sees this bowl of dirt one day, right? And the enemy throws the thought into his mind, Rob, you're a dirt eater. Just give it a taste. So that's the thought, right? It goes through Rob's head. <laughs> I'm so glad. Good idea, Mandy. <laughs> uh, right, what are you going to do if the thought goes through your head? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I'll do that. That's a weird thought, right? If that went through your head, you'd be like, why would I eat dirt? I know I don't like dirt. That was a weird thought though, right? Okay. Why? Because we've come, we've, we've taken the ground theologically that not every thought we think is ours. So it's not much of a wrestle for him, particularly this thought that seems really silly. All right? What if it's the same with greed or gossip or lust? Or what if it's no different now that you're a new creation? What if it's that silly? The idea that you would eat that. Right? But so next, the enemy tries to then entice Rob's desire to eat. Does Rob need to eat to survive? Yeah. Is that a normal desire? Yeah. But then I try to entice that desire with the desire to eat dirt. So now it's not just a thought. Rob, eat the dirt. You know you're a dirt eater. It's a feeling like he wants to eat it. An actual feeling. <laughs> so what's he going to do now? <laughs> Look, he's still not keen. But he's got it now. He's got to process this. So Rob can do a couple of things. Let's just say this dirt isn't in this bowl. It's out the front of the church here, right? And Rob has to come in and out of church every Friday and Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Potentially other days too. And he has to walk past the dirt. Now let's say Rob feels, when he feels that desire, feels vulnerable to that sin. Feels like, actually, I feel like I might eat that if I'm not careful. Now he can do a couple of things. He can go up to Carson. Carson, I really just need to expose a lie. Uh, I think I'm a dirt eater. I just, every time I walk past the dirt out the front, I literally want to grab a handful of it and just jam it in my mouth and eat it. <laughs> right? Now, if Carsten knows his stuff, he's not going to say, oh, you see, Rob, 
thanks for being brave and confessing that. The thing is, you are a dirt eater. So you're never truly going to not want to eat dirt. The key is that you stay humble. Confess it when you do. And Rob walks away hopping and skipping, free from dirt forever. Is that, that's not going to happen, is it? No, or Carson says, actually, Rob, that's the funniest thing. That's the furthest thing from the truth. I was reading just this morning Ephesians 5.8 that says, you're no longer dark, but you're light in the Lord, and you can walk as a child of the light. Of course you're not a dirt eater. And, and Carson encourages him with truth, and it just shakes that desire, right? Or Rob thinks it's so foolish that he doesn't tell anyone, but he still thinks it's his desire. So now he feels vulnerable to eating dirt. And so he's, he has to like park his car around the block and just muster up the courage to pull in the driveway and walk past it every week to get into church. Or he tries to get a key off Pastor Dylan so he can come in the front door and avoid it. But all the while, feeling vulnerable to us, eventually, eventually, if you don't shake the lie, you're going to wind up eating dirt at some point. Because you're not built to live with the concept that you're vulnerable. Well, I mean, the, the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because we've been given the keys of the kingdom. Right? If we're too vulnerable, what are we going to be doing plundering the gates of hell to take back what the enemy stole? If we're so vulnerable, what are we going to be doing in the dark environments that cause us to, to shine like lights? How are we going to do that? We have to, we have to break this. We have to, we have to shake this so we can live in this. Right? Or Rob has fantastic theology, so the desire comes, and he can just recognize what it is, put up his shield of faith. Like, I know what that is. He could even tell Carson, hey, I had this hilarious lie come at me that I wanted to eat dirt. And, I, and Carson's like, oh, what do you do? Because we know that lies still can impact us. They can still have power over you to the degree you believe them. So we're not ignorant. We don't laugh them off. We take them seriously so we can shine the light on them right? Oh, well, I just prayed and I actually just felt the distance between me and that lie. And as I did that, the frequency disappeared. And I just walk past it every day now. And every day I prove that I'm free from it because I've taken that on. Does that make sense? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. You're wonderful. Okay. Awesome. So don't eat the dirt. Praise God. All right, I'm going to stop there. I'd love to be able to pray for some people. Did I have something else in here? No, I just, I just chose a couple of different backgrounds today for you guys. Do you like them? Just as I was moving through my slide, that's a cool one. Yeah, that's the last one. It's visually aesthetic. Maybe they mean something prophetically to you. I was praying while I chose them. There's no color. Well, well, you know, I, this one's, we're landing the message. You remember the sin was like scarlet. It's been washed white as snow. I, I, we shouldn't sing that if we don't believe what I just taught. Great hymn. Is it powerful in your life because you believe this? 
Have you changed color? Have you changed from dark to light? Have you been translated from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love? Have you moved from death to life in Christ? If you have, sing the song with gusto and live in the truth of it. Right? Awesome. I'm going to ask a few people to come and pray for some people with me. But just as we transition into that, I'd love to just throw the opportunity out. If you're sitting here tonight and you haven't yet met Jesus, you haven't yet made him your savior, your Lord, you haven't uh, received him and let him come in and change you and, and make you free and make you part of the family and make you one of God's children, I just want to take a moment to, to actually ask you if that's you tonight and you know it's time, you feel the Holy Spirit reaching on your heart, it's time to let Jesus be Lord and Savior in your life. If you're sitting here and you haven't yet done that, I want to pray for you. I want to um, be part of the moment with you, and we all do, where you receive him as Savior. And it's a huge moment. So if you're sitting here and you've never done that, and tonight you want to do that, could you raise your hand nice and high for me so we can pray for you? Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.